Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Good morning, crypto. Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by one member of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. We also got the live chat joining us as well, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how Bitcoin is breaking out, now about to hit $50,000. We'll discuss what's more likely for altcoins, bullish or bearish case scenarios. We're also going to break down a very interesting interview discussing how the U.S. dollar is collapsing before our eyes. With the United States sanctions taking effect all around the world, could that have an impact on cryptocurrencies as well? And with the largest cryptocurrency, with the largest financial firms on the planet in the process of turning digital, we break down the details, showing our community how this next bull run is shaping up to be the greatest opportunity of our era. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, there's a ton of exciting news that we're going to get into for today. But surprisingly, and we talked about this on the show, XRP is going into a very bullish case scenario. Three months of bearish momentum took us down to this trading level we are at today. And I think we got a very optimistic three months ahead. So we're going to be breaking that down during today's show. But first of all, how are you feeling? Thanks for being here. Well, let's be optimistic because we're heading into the weekend. So good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you guys for showing up every single day. And I hope you're all excited for the weekend. I'm happy you're excited for Merlin. And hopefully you're excited for the Super, it's Super Bowl weekend, Ab. So very, very excited. And we had a big WWE heel turn last night for anybody who's paying attention. Not sure what you're talking about there, Johnny Crypto. So you have to fill me in later in the episode. But we already got 214 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. To start today's show, I wanted to show you guys what these assets are doing on the year so far. We've got Solana up 413%. My goodness. Bitcoin's up 118%. AVAX is up 100%. Ethereum is up 63% on the year. We also got XRP up 37% and Cardano trading up 50% on the 12-month chart, Johnny. So I just wanted to point out a little bit of optimism because it does feel like in the recent weeks, people have become bearish. I don't know why. I really don't understand it. The price charts are more you know bullish why. than ever. You know why. Because because uh, if it isn't, if something's not pumping every single day and people aren't getting rich overnight, nobody's happy. And the reality is that's just not how the world works. But you know, everybody has, some people have lived through those massive quick, you know, pumps that you get, those five, 10 X's in crypto abs, and everybody's waiting for those and getting excited about them. But the reality is that's just not how it normally works. I think what we're going through, and everybody should be excited about abs, is we are in the process of, my cousin texted me this morning, right? And he says, oh my God, Bitcoin's pumping, or crypto's pumping. And I go, dude, it hasn't even started. It hasn't even started yet. I still think the best is yet to come, but that's that's my eight cents. I agree with you. I definitely think it started though. We did a three X in the last 12 months, and that's what we've been highlighting all throughout this year, Johnny. Is like the the pessimism makes no sense unless you're just entering this market or you bought the top in 2021. 90% of crypto investors are in profit right now. And that's why I wanted to break down the altcoins as well. Chainlink is up 160% in the last 12 months. And I think, like you said, the majority of the bull run still sitting in front of us. We already got 230 people here. Smash that like button. And we're going to get into our Merlin market update because we're sitting at 1.77 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 52% dominance. Ethereum is about 17%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 47,100 this morning. Ethereum, 2490. Solana's trading at $105. And XRP also trading at 52 cents this morning. There's a token that we brought to your attention last week and somebody commented about it in the live chat as well. Last week, Johnny, we broke down a story about XLM 
and IBM. And what were they doing? They were using a stable coin to facilitate on-demand liquidity and a real-time settlement system on top of the Stellar network. So I'm looking for this tweet to identify it. And this was the update that I got this morning. Shout out to this man on Twitter, Moonlight. He said, I don't know, I don't know if you guys have dove into stronghold tokens, but Ripple also invested in this token and it has ties to XLM and IBM. The CEO and CTO are ex-Ripple and ex-Stellar employees, and it's tied to both company ecosystems. Well, just last week, Johnny, I put out um, an updated tweet. So I'll just have to go to my media and scroll through to find it here, guys. But what we were discussing is how, and here it is, Stellar and IBM are creating a global payments network, and they're using the Stronghold token. Now, what's so interesting about this is that that token is performing very, very well. And it just broke all-time highs, as this is illustrating, but this is the most exciting part. It's a $35 million market cap. When you talk about these smaller tokens, there's way more opportunity in the price chart. So I just wanted to start off the show by showing our listeners that. I think it's an important update, and I think everybody should go out and do some independent research on that project. But let's start off with the United States World Reserve Currency Status, Johnny Crypto, because this was an interview that was very interesting, and you're going to see a ton of content about this on all the YouTube channels this morning. We're only going to show you a 60-second clip to start the show, and we're going to roll into our Ripple content. What I want you to focus on is how the United States dollar is down dramatically in the last 24 months alone when it comes to global trade. And it seems like we did it to ourselves. Let's hear what he had to say and discuss it. Here we go. It was decision of the United States to restrict our transactions in US dollars. I think it is complete foolishness from the point of view of the interests of the United States itself and its taxpayers as it damages the U.S. economy, undermines the power of the United States across the world. By the way, our transactions in yuan accounted for about 3%. Today, 34% of our transactions are made in rubles and about as much, a little over 34% in yuan. Why did the United States do this? My only guess is self-conceit. They probably thought it would lead to full collapse, but nothing collapsed. Moreover, other countries, including oil producers, are thinking of and already accepting payments for oil in yuan. Thought I heard a little Johnny COVID in the background, guys, but I want to keep it serious this morning because this is very funny. What happened in the United States and with the dollar in particular is they planned a collapse, Johnny Crypto. They had put their cards in the deck to benefit off of the U.S. dollar diminishing in value. Um... Yep, I see that in the private chat as well. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Can Let me know some of your thoughts about the Putin video, and then we'll continue. Yeah, so basically, Putin's spot on. At the end of the day, in, in abs, I don't know if you remember this, but we talked about it on this show, that by the U.S. using sanctions against Russia, we told you on this show that that was going to be the beginning of the kiss of the death of the U.S. dollar. It was only going to hurt us more, because if you're going to cut Russia off, and you're going to say, we can't use the dollar no more, they're, what do you expect a country to do? You think they're just going to sit there and die? No, they're going to say, okay, you know what's to trade in your currency? We're going to find an alternative. And that's basically what happened is they went and found an alternative. We just we just helped accelerate that. We helped motivate them. That's He's right. 100% foolish. The U.S., you know, if you're going to mess with a big nation that is well-resourced. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're talking about a smaller country and they don't have resources, it's a different story. But Russia has a shit ton of oil and they've got something that people want and they're going to buy it from them. And so if they can buy it in dollars, they're going to buy it in something else. It's totally foolish. And it was really the beginning of the end of the U.S. dollar when we decided to do that. And I know people argue and say, well, we had to punish them. Yeah, but maybe there were different ways to punish them because punishing them that way, at the end of the day, all you did was cut off your nose to spite your face and you killed the U.S. dollar. Not a smart move at all for the U.S. What was interesting is what he had pointed out about the collapse of the U.S. dollar is that they had orchestrated what they were considering a total collapse. And instead, there was a reorganization from world powers moving into other currencies like the one, like the Russian ruble. And I don't see how we didn't take that into account. That's almost idiotic to think that countries and economies that have all the oil, all the resources, wouldn't just create their own currency and their own denomination instead of sitting in this monopoly that we call the U.S. dollar. I'm also a U.S. citizen, so I'm an advocate for the U.S. dollar, but I'm just pointing out some of the obvious flaws here, guys. And we got 308 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to get into the Ripple content for today, Johnny. And the quarter four 2023 report had some pretty interesting revelations when it comes to how Ripple sold XRP during the lawsuit and during that time in particular. So Justin, Ripple's Q4 2023 XRP market report reveals a possible game changer for the SEC case. 
They stated here, Ripple and the SEC will enter the remedies phase of the case focused on institutional sales. Legal briefs will be submitted in March and April of this year, and then court will decide which remedies to impose. Even prior to the court's ruling in July, Ripple had changed the way it sold XRP, and going forward, we will ensure that Ripple sales conform to the legal standards articulated by the court. So the reason that's important is because that's what the SEC is going, going after them for right now, and they're debating this in court. But if Ripple already adjusted their sales strategy, then there's really nothing to address here, Johnny. And that was my takeaway. But I did message John Deaton and Jeremy Hogan about this information. So what's your take? And then we'll discuss it. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I think that we are finally starting to move into this final phase or settlement area, as you stated, going into, um, I, you know, I, I'm not enough. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have enough attorney, you know, I'm not an attorney. I have the background to know how these things are going to play out. Obviously, it's a chess move going back and forth here because the the SEC wants to nail them for as much as they can. I think I heard as high as seven hundred million, and certainly Ripple wants to walk away. With, I've heard as low as ten million. So, so the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I don't know what's realistic. I think Deaton thought something like twenty million was realistic. It'd be really interesting to see what the penalty comes out to be. But you know, I, that's why I think we had the court the other day. Um, that court ruling which favored you know Ripple to compel. They were saying that could potentially hurt them a little bit. And I think it meant just only from a perspective of they may have to pay a little bit more in the settlement. But we'll have to wait and see how that, that whole thing plays out and where it goes. Uh, I think we are going to have Freddie Rispoli on the show on Tuesday next week. So uh, we can ask him a little bit more on that since he's a legal guy. Here's something else that's interesting we found just the other day, Johnny, is that we're supposed to get big news. According to this ex-Ripple employee, the former Ripple director stated big news is coming from Ripple and XRP in the next couple of days. Well, I tied this to the news that we received on February 3rd of 2024, where the head of product marketing at Ripple announced after three years of silence for Ripple payments in the USA, we're announcing new product updates fueled by our money transmitter licenses spanning across the majority of US states. I'm tying this into something new this morning. So yesterday, I found this price chart just before the show and all I was able to caption is XRP is bullish. But there's a couple of things that really stick out to me when I'm looking at the XRP price chart right now. First of all, the 18-month trend line that we're sitting on top of. That's undeniable. Every time we've wicked through that, it's been extremely short-lived. There's almost no trading volume below those ranges in the last 12 months. The second thing, the RSI. The RSI is currently approaching the 30% level, which is a really pivotal point. And as you can tell, every time we touch those ranges, we typically get a change in momentum. So there's two big, big things that we have going for us when it comes to the XRP price chart. But the third and most important thing, Johnny Crypto, in my opinion, at least, is what we're looking at right here. As you can see, there's a 64, 68 cent iron wall range that we are yet to break through. And we test it. We back test it. We break through. It's short lived. I think because of the way that this wedge is forming, we are going to turn this into a support in the low 60s. And we could easily see XRP trading in that, you know, 62 to 65 cent range for an extended period of time. Now, it may not be the 589 that everyone's looking for, but if we're talking about optimism in the market, it has to start somewhere. And this bullish wedge, that's what I'm seeing in the price chart. So what's your reaction to that, tying it into the fact that Ripple may coordinate news in the next couple of days slash weeks in relation to USA enabling XRP payments? Yeah, I think you're on to something there. I think when you look at, yeah, I think you've actually kind of coined this phrase now, show me the chart and I'll show you the news. And I think you're right. I think you can see that the chart is gearing up to show us something, you know, positive coming. Now, what I'll caveat that with is, frankly, abs for me, again, like I've been saying consistently, I don't really chase these small. I'm not really concerned about 62 cents, right? It doesn't, if you want to be honest, like, yes, I believe we're gearing up with something. But 62 cents, ask me if that gets me excited. <laughs> I'm already going to fall asleep at 62 cents, right? But, so I'm not chasing these small little green candles. I'm chasing the big outcome what what xrp can mean in the future in the long term what does it mean you know for what's it look like if we get real true utility in this space right and, and i i i was reading some of the comments the other day that cracks me up people are like oh johnny you're all over the place XRP. no i've always been in the same place i've always felt that it has potential to go somewhere and it should be one of those horses in my bag but i promise you this as you know it's better than anybody I will always, always, always adjust my opinion on any investment I make based on new data and new information I'm gathering. And if people aren't doing that and you're just living on old hopium and, and you're just married to your coins and you're not going to adjust your opinion, boy, man, you're setting yourself up for failure. 
you got to read the tea leaves. You got to see where these markets are moving. You got to understand how technology works. You got to understand there's new technology coming in every day, obsoleting the old technologies. And so you just got to, and I know because I'm in technology, so you just got to pay attention. So I get it. A lot of people don't understand that. And like, oh, yeah, Johnny all over the place. No, no, no. Johnny's going to adjust his opinion based on what he's learning day in and day out. And that's why you're watching the show. And hopefully you're learning that too. And if you're not, well, you have an opportunity to start to learn now. Johnny, this is another interesting update we're going to share with our listeners. As JP Morgan is updating people about the ISO announcement coming in the next couple of months, we are going to see a massive global adoption of digital assets from the banks by March 10th, 2025. And we're going to provide some evidence for that. But let's start off with this video right here. JP Morgan's head of global clearing product and transformation is discussing how they are very, very accepting of ISO protocols. Here we go. Yeah, so I, I have overall responsibility at JP Morgan for the implementation of the ISO 20022 program. I run our global clearing products uh, and also our global industry groups. So I've had the, the honor and the pleasure and the challenge of, of running the ISO program for the last few years through planning, through kickoff, through March CBP or plus, and through the number of market infrastructures we've gone through. Um, manage a, a kind of a global team and a global team of stakeholders from all aspects of the bank driving towards, you know, making ISO embedded into everything that we do at JP Morgan. And I wanted that statement to be played right there, making ISO embedded in everything that we do at JP Morgan. There was another interesting video. Let's go to this old clip first, because why do we think big banks and companies are going to use XRP? This is a great reason. This is from Emmy Yoshikatao, or I'm not sure how you pronounce that. She stated the XRP ledger has been operating the world's first deck since 2012, and it's an order book format decks if the automated market maker is added here by amendment in the future it is expected that it will become the most powerful decks of clob and automated market makers dramatically improving liquidity so these are the types of things that are yet to happen to the xrpl and i think when many of these amendments take place whether it's the clawbacks the automated market makers we're also going to see a smart contract compatibility between the ethereum network and xrp so all of these roads are beginning to connect do you have any immediate reaction to the J.P. Morgan clip, Johnny? Uh, I think that at the end of the day, there's no surprise that they're going to look to integrate the ISO 2000, uh, 222 um, standards. That makes sense. I think what happened is people got confused in thinking that that automatically meant that they were going to absorb the coins that are compatible with that. That's not how it works. Um, it just means they have the capability of potentially using those technologies, and I think you may see some of that happen abs at the end of the day, but um, that's, you know, yeah, I, I think you will. I'm not surprised at all to see the world circuit, you know, kind of wrap themselves around all adopting the same standard. That's actually a positive bullish thing in the long run for, for those blockchains that are compatible. Now we'll see, you know, if any of those get picked and how they're utilized. Well, let's provide some evidence right here. As earlier this week, we got news that India is going to look at off-chain solutions, sorry, offline solutions to aid CBDC adoption in rural areas. Well, this video I found last night, and this is an Indian bank talking at the Indian FinTech Fest, sorry, the India FinTech Festival. And what he stated is, we're working with Ripple and XRP on their CBDC platform. Let's listen to this brief 20-second clip and discuss it, Johnny. Here we go. We are working with Ripple, XRP on their CBDC platform, and we are consulting small countries, not like India. So they are very advanced. We are already into the CBDC platform. We are consulting small countries as one of the advisory uh, paper submission and everything on the CBDC, how they can move to CBDC. So Solomon Ashok, founder Cars Fintech and co-founder and CTO of Accelerate Finance. So please. We are working with Ripple. XRP on their CBDC oh. platform. And I just wanted to play that twice, Johnny, because I think it's so obvious. People often debate, oh, is Ripple developing products related to the XRPL? And is it XRP? It's undeniable. Every time we talk to one of these banks, they talk about leveraging the XRPL for liquidity. This is just another great example. What are your thoughts? I mean, this is an example of the beginning of how technology gets started. Companies start, like you just said, we're working with Ripple on CBDC trials. That's basically what he's trying to tell you. For a smaller country, small, he said, not India, right? You heard him clearly say, oh, not India. But for smaller nations, they're working and they're testing and they're, and they're doing trials here. So, you know, at the end of the day, Abs, that's how it begins. That's how things get started. And then ultimately at the end of the day, we'll see how this whole thing gets cooked up and where we end up landing and which ones. Again, you are seeing the ultimate battle 
for the power or what's going to be the, the the replacement of the new Swift system. And it's going to be a battle for several years until we see how this whole thing plays out. I'm interested to see if there's a lot of blockchains like the one that we addressed at the beginning of the show, these smaller blockchains, these smaller market caps that exist in the market, but they're built on top of products like XRP and XLM. The DEX for XRP and the DEX for XLM is yet to be fully taken advantage of. I think that developers still don't really understand fully how we can implement a lot of the capabilities that are there. And as those things come to fruition in the next three, four, five years, we're going to see dramatic changes, not only in those networks, but also to the smaller cap tokens having more ability to make money. And that's what I'm excited for in general. Let's talk a little bit about Ethereum here, guys, because Ethereum received unique security status earlier this week when Prometheum filed with the SEC. So I read a great article this morning, and we're going to break it down. As crypto regulators have for years debated over the essential question, is Ethereum a security? The industry has often complained about the lack of legal clarity. It's been impossible, many have said, to comply with the law because there's not clear exactly what the law is, or rather how regulators will interpret that law related to something as novel as a... <laughs> You're so funny, Johnny. Guys, we got 377 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button and comment a one in the live chat. Do you believe Ethereum is a security? Put a two in the live chat if you think it's a commodity, because that's what we're going to be breaking down right here. While we still don't know, for instance, whether Ethereum or, or sorry, whether Ethereum is a security or a commodity, the SEC has breadcrumb that it's probably a commodity and that the leading securities regulator is not therefore responsible for regulating the second most important crypto asset after Bitcoin. Think about the irony here, guys. They're suing Ripple for offering an unregistered security but they're accepting that Ethereum shouldn't be regulated that way. So we already have a little dichotomy here. This week with Prometheum, a weird anomaly in being the only U.S. regulated registered securities platform, it announced that it would begin to custody Ethereum as its first digital asset. The news is important because it tests two key open questions about crypto, specifically in the USA. One, whether it's possible to comply with the SEC when transacting leading cryptocurrencies. That's huge. And two, if anyone is finally going to adjudicate on Ethereum's classification so we can all go about building the next generation of crypto. At that point, and this is the most important statement, we will either be proving the claims of its executives that crypto can be handled in the U.S. in a way that appeases the securities watchdog, or we're going to prove the naysayers who argue that it's impossible to meet the SEC's expectations. Very key details there, Johnny Crypto. And I think all this is playing out before our eyes. But the most important thing I'd like to point out is that Gary Gensler hasn't made a decision on Ethereum, but approved Prometheum as a securities exchange to buy and sell this product. So it's very, very interesting. I'd like to hear your initial reaction. We'll continue. Yeah, it's very confusing because at the end of the day, like, so we're saying Ethereum is, you know, you're hearing you know, Hinman and the SEC said it's not a security. It's, but then you've got this company, Prometheus, who has approved uh, ability to sell securities and the very first coin they pick is ethereum which is which is not a security according to the sec but it's being sold on a site that's approved to sell securities <laughs> so you can see the hypocrisy here and why it's a little confusing what's going on and that's exactly the problem the reason i was pointing earlier when you were reading it is there is no clarity and so it comes down to the interpretation of the people in charge and therein lies the problem because, you know, you could choose to go after something or not go after something. You can choose to call it sufficiently decentralized, which we have no freaking clue to this day. What that means or choose not to call. Why can't XRP be sufficiently decentralized, right? <laughs> it's just because Hedman didn't get 15 million bananas, you know, for, for, for to say that about XRP. So it's like pay to play. It really, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't make sense. Was, but, you know, the thing is, you saw yesterday or two days ago, maybe it was earlier in the week, Yellen came out asking, Congress to come out with some regulation uh, for stable coins, at least that will help start molding the ball game of what this thing is going to look like. We're going to get a much better feel in the end of the day, when we get some kind of regulation that comes out and we're going to see where the heads of the leaders are. Are we going to get purely just stable coin? Are they going to ignore crypto? Are they going to ignore all spot crypto? Or are they going to put some blurb in about spot crypto? Or are they going to not, you know, how they how they choose to, to, to define it in that document or in that regulation, if they do something with the stable coin, will be very, very interesting in an indicator of which way we're headed. And I'm not going to speculate. Let's just wait and see what comes out. 
This is the video that Johnny Cookto was just referencing. So I'm going to play this very brief clip and we'll discuss it. But Johnny, something else that's important to identify is that when people talk about the centralization of an asset, we often focus on who owns it, right? Oh, 70% of Ethereum is owned by consensus. There's a second aspect of decentralization, which is how many validators are on the network approving transactions. Because if you can control those validator points, you can easily centralize a network. And I think that Ripple has a great case, not only for the validators, but for the ownership as well, because the escrow, it's not touchable. We're talking about the smart contracts and all that's going to come into effect over these next 12 months. Keep in mind, we should see an American, not only the resolution of the SEC case, we should see American companies using XRP in 2024. But first, it's going to start with updates like these. Here we go. And Congress should pass legislation to provide for the regulation of stable coins and of the spot market for crypto assets that are not securities. Boom. And I want to focus on that last sentence, crypto assets that are not securities. Well, just in July 13th of 2023, we identified in court that Ripple Labs, aka XRP, when sold on a digital trading or via trading algorithm to the general public, the token was not deemed to be a security. Very important to note because there's only a couple of assets right now that have that statement. It's XRP, and Bitcoin's a matter of opinion. So it really is XRP here, Johnny Crypto. I just want to hear some thoughts. No, about I don't that. think Bitcoin's a matter of opinion. I think Gary Gary came out in front of Congress, if you remember, in front of the, uh, which committee was that McHenry runs? And he, oh, literally, yeah. he literally said Bitcoin is not a security. So we basically have, and, and the way she said it was very, very she said non-security coins. Well, basically we have two. You got Bitcoin and you got XRP. Everything else, we have no clue. So I wish I, I wish she would have really just said that rather than you know leaving it ambiguous to say she she basically said we need regulation around stable coins and we need regulation around non-security coins. So basically, she's ignoring the whole entire altcoin and spot market coins. That's a huge. I mean, basically, she's talking about two coins. She's saying we need regulation around stable coins, so Tether, USDC, right, all those, and. Stable instability or regulation around Bitcoin and XRP. Well, what about the other 12,500 active coins in the market? What are we doing about those? We're doing absolutely nothing. And that was my point earlier. It'd be very interesting to see if we get any language at all about those other 12,500 active coins, or do we get, are we still sitting here in ambiguity and leaving it up to the SEC to decide, which is not going to be a good thing. And I think something else that's important to understand right now is that companies, when they understand how much money you can make in altcoins and these lower cap trading coins, they're going to come over. We heard that from Raul Paul six months ago when companies are, they're moving into Bitcoin because they're about to make some money. That's really what it comes down to, Johnny Crypto. If they thought they were going to lose money on these assets, they wouldn't be excited about passing regulation or adopting them at Fidelity and BlackRock. We're going to see the exact same thing for Ethereum. We're going to see the exact same thing for XRP. It's just us trying to figure out when that's going to take place. And that's what kind of we're debating right now. But we got 406 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, there's another important detail that we got to reference this morning because not only did the Ripple uh, provide their quarterly markets report, this was a very interesting connection I found when doing a little bit of research. So Google, yes, Alphabet Inc. and the company Google own stake in Ripple, the company, Back in 2015, we just figured out that through a venture capital firm called Google Ventures, they invested an amount that was undisclosed, but less than $30 million into the company. Tell me, Johnny, you always say it's about having horses in the race. They don't have to touch these things. Maybe they invested in seven of them. Maybe they invested in 10 of them. They went into Algorand, Cardano, um, give me a couple others, Stellar, HBAR, XRP. But what's important is that they identified Ripple as a key player in this market and they wanted to profit off of that knowledge. I'm not necessarily saying they were going to use Ripple's products, but they at least wanted to understand what was going on there. And if they were going to be a success, Google was going to have a small part of it. So I thought that was pretty interesting and we're going to continue with the show. But what's well, your what you have to remember, Abs, is these, these are technology companies. Technology companies have to always, always have to keep their finger on the pulse of of the markets technology markets are where they're going they always have to make investments in in future technologies or they get left behind they get obsoleted smart companies don't make those mistakes and companies that are cash well flush with cash like google no surprise that they're going to place bets here and buy a little bit of ripple buy a little bit of this buy a little bit of that 
that doesn't that's no surprise. You would expect them to do that. And for them, $30 million, I mean, or maybe uh, so under 30 million, so maybe it was 10 million. That's like you dropping five bucks out of your pocket, right? Like for them, that's not that's peanuts. So like, oh yeah, that's like I, they carry that around in the pocket change. Here's know? what's important though. And I, I even put that in the thing. I said, although it's a drop in the bucket. So I, I use the same analogy. What I think is important is that they weren't even in the process of becoming a public company and Google reached out, identified, and then bought stake in the company. We know that in the last 12 months alone, I think Ripple's IPO evaluation has tripled. So imagine what it's done in the last eight years. They were probably right. buying into Ripple at a $100 million evaluation. If they gave $30 million, that could be a huge chunk. And now I'm realizing as I'm saying it out loud, that's too small of a number. They probably paid a much higher evaluation. But what I think is more important is that they own a big chunk of the company from 2015. 2015 is before we went to $4 and all that craziness, right? So this, yeah. was, a, this was a coin that was under a penny at the time. Yeah. Google went in and put a little bit of money into that company. So I think it's exciting, right? They weren't buying it for the price of XRP. <laughs> they were buying it for the potential technology that they have and probably the patents that they have. That's that's what these companies look for when they're looking for technology companies. They're looking to see what's the patent portfolio, what's the technology they got behind it. At the time, blockchain in 2015 was newer you know, you know, to where we are to not newer. I mean, it was around 70 years, but the point is it was a newer technology and like, Hey, we need to get, a, we need to get a better understanding of blockchains. What's happening in here. We want to have our toes in the water here. They don't care about turning 30 million into 300 million. That's still peanuts for them. What they care about is not having a technology that they can't potentially leverage build. If the future's moving that way, they don't want to get caught behind and not have the ability to play in that space that would be huge a huge you know just look at kodak i mean the you know kodak kodak we everybody saw the writing on the wall except kodak we even saw it. we knew digital cameras were coming and they kept saying no 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 film is here to stay film is here to stay and they got slaughtered and they're you know and they're dead now they're they're chemical company not even a, a, a you know a camera company anymore because of the apps so Google smart. They're not going to let that happen to them. And that's why they're going to place bets. I bet you if you looked in their portfolio apps, that Google investment company, whatever they're called, they probably have hundreds of companies that they've invested. Five million here, 10 million there, 8 million there. That's the smart way to play the game. Do you think this is, is there anything we can take away from, um, from something like this? Because obviously they've been associated with Ripple. That means for almost a decade, it's only fair to assume that they've been exchanging ideas and information in some way, shape or form, not oh, yeah. working together. Yeah. So what can yeah. we take away from this and, and imply for ourselves? I think what we could take away is that at the time they saw potential in this technology where it was going. And from then, obviously, we don't know what's happened throughout those, you know, between then and now. But most likely, yes, they've got relationships. The engineers are talking to each other. Maybe they're sharing ideas. Maybe they're even building in technology. Who knows? You know, we don't know. But the point is, there's a higher probability of that happening because of that investment. So that's a good thing. If we talk about United States companies using technologies, is this something we can use as insight to something they may adopt? Because when I'm thinking about where United States regulation is coming from, it's coming from the lobbyists, right? Which is interesting because that means it's coming from the big companies that are potentially going to be using these technologies. So as I'm looking around at the biggest companies in the world, I'm trying to figure out what blockchain companies are they also associated with? That's how I found XLM actually. Like XLM mm. is associated with tons of American companies and they're also associated with United States regulators when you do your research. So I think this does come into effect. I'm not saying this is going to impact the price in the short term, but I think we can use these as, an, as a way to identify what are some real projects in the space. When we're observing those top 100 projects, they're all a billion dollars. They all look real, but these are things we can apply to, to kind of distinguish projects. And we got 433 live listeners here. Show us some love, smash that like button. We're going to show you an interesting video right here of a man that everybody knows from the Bitcoin community. And let me get his name correct. Da Vinci is his name. He's been making content on Bitcoin for quite a while now. And what he says in this clip is a little bit shocking because he's for the first time ever admitting this publicly that the NSA, or he believes the NSA, created Bitcoin. And he says he knows one of the men who worked with them directly. Of course, we're getting tech issues here. Give me a second here, guys. I'll get to refresh the page on this one. Yeah, while you refresh it, basically, it'll be very fascinating to see what the scoop is here. Uh, oh, there we go. So I'm going to ask you some things that I've heard. Was Bitcoin created by the CIA? 
And since you were early mining it, are you in the CIA? <laughs> well, if I was on the C- in the Come CIA. Come clean on London Real. First off, yeah, I'm Canadian, right? right? And I was born in Trinidad. Per- perfect so. cover. <laughs> right? If you were Russian, it'd be even better. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, unlikely. Eh? Um, okay. That I, I work for the CIA. Now, I was there when um, bit when um, what was his name? Um, ah, Jesus, uh, Andreas? No, it wasn't Andreas Antonopoulos. It was somebody else. It was another person who was working closely with Satoshi. And I, now, like the name has not Roger Ver. No. no, no, no. Okay, it somebody was, early on. Yeah, exactly. I know and, that, yeah, I know one of those. Guys he he went to to the CIA office to explain what Bitcoin was, and, okay, and everybody was freaking out. I remember back then. When was 20, that? It was back in 2011. Okay. Um, and that's when Satoshi said, okay, no, 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 no I'm out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, All right. So was it so, created by the CIA? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I think that um, based on what I learned about the source code, it was created by somebody in the NSA. Really? And um, the evidence of that is the randomizer. What was quite interesting about the randomizer or randomizers that a computer has a hard time making up random numbers yeah, I because it's exact from my early programming days right. you have like a seed but it's hard to actually make it yeah truly, truly random, random yeah. right okay. and so there's lots of um code or actual people have come up with some methods that uh produce a random number a true random number from a computer and so there's lots of a certified method that's stated that they don't have any backdoors. They've been checked and rechecked and they're certified to not have any backdoors. Yet Satoshi didn't use any of them, all the certified methods. He used this obscure method, which wasn't certified. And a lot of developers scratched their head until Snowden. (laughs) When he released that Oh, yeah, the NSA had backdoors to all the certified randomizers. Uh, With enough data, they could actually reproduce the random number that you actually chose. (laughs) So, does that mean they can can, can break break codes? Technically, they can break, yeah, break all the security. Get get in, get your Bitcoin, get your Bitcoin, basically. But Satoshi chose the one randomizer, they didn't have a backdoor. How is that possible? Did he get lucky? Okay. I think that's a great case, Johnny. I'm not going to lie. I've heard a lot of compelling cases for who's Satoshi and we tracked him down. I think that's one of the most logical explanations I've ever heard because think about it. Who controls the tech industry today? Who controls San Francisco? We know who controls San Francisco, but I'm going to give you the open floor and we'll discuss it. What was your initial reaction to his whole case and the fact that you can tie the government to Satoshi, but you can also tie it directly to the code? When you look at almost any technology that we're using today us as consumers it was almost almost all of them were created by the government early on computers created by the government phones created by the internet created by the government you you know what i'm saying so there's no shock for me anyway zero shock to hear that you know cia nsa whoever you want to call created created bitcoin no shock whatsoever i i actually expect that because there's you know you have to understand that when you're trying to research and, and do these types of, you know, bringing new technologies into space, that costs money. Companies can only spend so much money on research in so many years before they say, okay, we're going to give up, we're going to go invest elsewhere. Governments, however, have an endless supply of money. That's why most innovations apps happen through governments after 10, 20, 30 years of developing something because they can continue to do it. Cause they got nobody to, you know, there's no shareholders beating on them saying, Hey, where's my investment? What's going on? Why are you spending all our money? Nobody's keeping account of where the government's spending money. And that's why a lot of innovations come from the government. And that's why there should be zero shock to anybody to find out when we do someday that Bitcoin was developed by the government. In fact, I will be shocked if we find out that it wasn't developed by the government. I'm not shocked by this at all. And this is more evidence here, Johnny Crypto, because think about this. Just four weeks ago, we had spot ETF products approved in the USA. Well, as of this morning, BlackRock and Fidelity alone hold over 151,000 Bitcoin worth $7.1 billion for their Bitcoin spot products. If you think BlackRock and Fidelity would invest in a 
unknown creator, right? It's just like yeah. the ties are just so obvious. Yeah. Of course, guys like Larry Fink oh. are going to figure out who created, who has 1.2 million of these things and sitting in their wallet before they invest all of their company's assets into these types of assets, right? Tokenization is the real crypto narrative, but this is how you get people's foot in the door. Decentralized, very safe, inflation averse. This is going to go up as a dollar value of your dollar goes down. Then you begin tokenizing their houses, their cars, their deeds, their ownership. Before you know it, 17, 20, 25 years later, you're sitting in an environment that's dominated by blockchain technologies. And that's why companies like PayPal, and we're going to show you this article as well, are getting ready to offer an online or sorry, an offline payment system. We've seen Ripple develop something very similar as well, where these are proximity-based payments, meaning if I don't have service on my phone and the internet's off, but my phone is charged and me and Johnny are standing next to each other, we don't need the internet to transfer our assets. That is going to be so key in convincing the public to use these things because we even see it in our live chat. What's the number one question we get? Well, you can't use crypto if the internet goes out, right? What was it? And another one of the biggest narratives of 2020 was uh, the EMP attack. The global yeah. power outages. So like these are just narratives that they throw out, kind of like nuclear war, right? It's always like worst case scenario. You're not supposed to say nuclear. That's like one of the one of the things you're not supposed to say. But the reality is that it's kind of a fear-mongering technique. The, the, the power going out globally doesn't positively affect anyone. The people who are in charge of the world today don't want to lose that power. And so if they can if they collapse the system into total chaos, then it restructures itself from the bottom up. That is not what the global elites are trying to do here, guys. But sorry for getting sidetracked there, Johnny. I just think there's a lot of interesting information going on here. And when we talk about the possibility for offline payments, that's another step in the evolution of this market. So, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I have to pull this up because I think this is a fantastic quote by X right here. So, so smart. I want to read this for people listening. He says, credit card was carbon paper, swipe with a manual signature. Then it switched to chip tech. Now it's just tap. And tech takes time to evolve uh, to reach mass adoption. This is 10 years early. Spot on, my friend. You are 100% right. Technology does take a long time to happen. I remember when the first credit cards came out, apps. it was in the 80s. And we're like, what the hell are these things, you know? And and then and then in like the mid-2000s or mid, you know, at maybe 2010, when you started to get the chip in them. And now, of course, you can just tap. So the reality is you're starting to see the evolution. How like, this technology takes time. It's going to take a long time before all of this actually comes to fruition, but we're in the beginning of seeing these, the, you know, the XRP becoming, for example, you know, a bigger, a bigger, a bigger, playing a bigger, uh, taking a bigger role in the place of payment systems in the new quantum financial system, XRP, you know, potentially having that and XLM too, for that matter, having the potential to play in these spaces, but these technologies are going to take time before they get fully, you know, adopted, full utility, and then even optimized. You could say that credit cards maybe started in the 80s, maybe fully saturated by the 2000s, and then, you know, now fully optimized and being able to just tap the dance. <laughs> you know, but that that took a long, long time. So, you know, we'll see how, we'll see how it plays out. But where the nice thing about all this apps is we're so damn early, my friends. We're so damn early in this space. All of us, you know, who are invested in XRP and XLM and all the other promising technologies, you know, take your hand, turn it, not pat yourself on the back, don't hurt yourself, though. But you, you've done good by placing some early bets. That's how you position yourself to create some generational wealth in this space. And here's how we're going to talk about why crypto is set to benefit off of inflation, Johnny, because what we're going to see is as the Fed lowers rates in these next 12 months, assets like real estate, your groceries, your cryptocurrency, your stocks and bonds. All of these things are going to increase in price. And this is what I find so interesting. The biggest companies on the planet are now admitting this fact. Here we go. Right now, as we speak, uh, inflation adjusted, uh, there is no economic growth in the world, I would say. Um, and that's a pretty disappointing state. In fact, the developed world may have negative economic growth. And so um, in a world like that, we may need a new input. And that's why I'm very optimistic about AI being that general purpose technology that drives economic growth right now as we speak. So what's interesting, Johnny, is that when we talk about the first world countries in particular, where does economic growth come from? Growth in population and the value of your of your economy, basically, like how how profitable are the businesses functioning in your environment? Well, it comes, comes through innovation, right? It comes through new products, new new ideas. And, and, and so right now we've seen a growth 
a slowing of growth and innovation, especially in the U.S., uh, especially in the blockchain side of it being stifled abs. But in generation, in general, if you want to see an economy grow, you have to flush it with money that generates ideas, that generates innovation. Innovation generates new products. People want the new products. They go out, they spend more money, and then it becomes this this ecosystem or cycle of money in, money out, you know, flowing around the world based on things people are willing to pay for, right? But we're seeing now that, that you know, and the world will continue to innovate. I don't think they'll ever go away, but we are we are seeing a, a contraction of money, and that will, will ultimately lead to um, a, a slowing growth of economy right now. And the world, I think that's just normal, cyclical things that we go through, unfortunately, because of the way our system is set up and played on debt. When it comes to crypto, I feel like we're we're in an interesting situation now. And this is a Hester Pierce article I found from this morning. Hester Pierce is still has plans to push for a token safe harbor plan in the United States. The work of creating crypto and crypto investor friendly legal framework in the United States is continuing, even though Hester Pierce has been there for almost three years. The commissioner of the United States Securities and Exchange Commission released an update on her token safe harbor proposal 2.0. While the proposal hasn't made headway in its prior forms, the commissioner is not giving up. I think we will definitely see a 3.0 version if the government wants to keep crypto innovation alive inside the United States. She said during an exclusive interview with a fireside chat, there's room for something to address the legitimate concerns that crypto skeptics have while addressing the legitimate concerns of the innovators as well. The proposal previous versions aim to answer the questions of a lot of people surrounding the issuance of digital tokens. She explained that she built an earlier in iteration of the concept after the initial coin offering boom of 2017. When a lot of startups launched their own tokens, there was a lot of not a lot of disclosure around them. So that's an interesting way of phrasing that. The Staff Harbor plan aimed to provide an initial development team with a three-year grace period during which they would participate in and create a decentralized network and they would be exempt from registration provisions of the federal securities laws so long as certain conditions were met. Really interesting that all this is kind of playing out. And this is a development here. So, Johnny, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll keep reading this article and we'll go to Johnny. Pierce's proposal aimed to require people to make disclosures for the initial period when they were selling tokens. From there, the idea was that if the blockchain was already decentralized, that no one really had any more information than anyone else. The disclosures wouldn't be necessary anymore because all the information would be out there and available to anyone. While the commissioner said she hasn't laid out a plan for the details of 3.0 yet, she is open to people tossing ideas her way. I welcome ideas not only from the token safe harbor, but more generally, if the SEC were to wake up tomorrow and say, we want to make a more productive, we want to take a more productive approach, what would ideas look like and where would we need to spend our time? Well, they should probably check their X account because I think people are giving their input every day, Johnny Crypto. But floor is yours on these safe harbor laws. I think it just highlights how quickly even SEC commissioners are admitting we're at a point where innovation is taking place. It's in Asia. It's in the UAE. Now America is kind of sitting on the sidelines and debating the nuances of this technology. The fact that Gary Gensler controls this market, he's got such a strong grip on this entire market. It's undeniable it's going to have an impact. And I think Hester Pierce is acknowledging it in this article. What are some of your takeaways from the whole proposal and the safe harbor plan? Gary Gensler has no grip on this market at all. Gary Gensler is a puppet. I will continue to say it. The administration who put Gary Gensler in his place has a has a grip on it, and they have decided that this is how they want to play the game. Now let's see what happens. Let's let's see if a do we get a new administration in twenty twenty four? Don't know. And b thank you, Joey. Love you too, brother. Italian Paisan. Uh, and then and then let's see in two, you know, said so number two abs. If we do get a new administration, what's that? What's the sentiment now around crypto? Are we going to see a change in it? And that's always going to depend on who is who is running, you know, run who what where the orders are coming from. Let's face it, Gary just has a boss. Gary's just a Gary's a smart guy. Gary understands taught crypto and blockchain technologies at MIT. He understands it fully. And if Gary was told, hey, go innovate, go make this thing happen, he would be going to make it happen. But he's not told that. Instead, he's been told, squeeze this thing down. We already know. I mean, it was leaked out. Operation Choke Point. Gary, Gary's mission. Gary, think of Gary like this, Abs. Think of Gary as a general. And he's been told, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, you're gonna launch a mission, Operation Choke Point. That's what he's doing. Right. And so, and I get why we all say, okay, Gensler has power, but he really doesn't. But nonetheless, she's right. 
I like how she said in that statement you had there, and I don't remember the exact words because I don't see it, but she said something along the lines of, if we wanted to make this work, what would that look like? That is the right question to be asked. And then if that was the sentiment, you would see the people in power, Gary and all those other people coming up with the solutions to enable that, but we're not there yet. That's not the, that's not the mission. Let's hear what John Deaton has to say about uh, Gary Gensler because he actually he disagrees with you, Johnny. He thinks Gary Gensler is the problem, and he gives a short explanation. Yeah. Yes. We, the first thing is getting rid of Gary Gensler, and once we get rid of Gary Gensler, if we get someone in that says, "Listen, we want to be you know pro business, pro investor, but pro business and work," it's not that difficult to say. Here's a framework. This asset class, we can't apply 1934 Securities Act laws to this modern day technology. So we come up with a framework and say, if you meet these markers, it's a commodity and it's going to be governed by the CFTC. If you don't meet these factors, then it's going to be deemed a security governed by the SEC. It's not that difficult to do. And if we get some smart people, which this industry has, we could solve this just like that. Once we get so. So two things. I wouldn't say he disagreed with you, Johnny. What I would correct. say is that he phrased it a little bit differently. Correct. He said that Gary Gensler's inability to apply laws to this market, because Gary Gensler could come out and make statements. He could say, in my opinion, Ethereum is or is not a security. I'm going to drop the lawsuit against Ripple. I'm not going to sue Kraken, Coinbase, Binance all in my tenure, right? These are decisions either his handlers are making, as you like to say, I think that's good. I think that's a good phrasing. Or he's making himself. So I think what John Deaton's highlighting here is that if we got a new set or even a single commissioner at the head of the SEC that was more, I guess, right-leaning, more open-minded about these assets, and more willing to let all of these technologies profit off of regulation, it would happen very quickly. And so we can debate whether it's Gary's decision or whether it's the people who control Gary's decision, but in the next 12 to 24 months, Gary Gensler will not be head of the SEC anymore, and somebody in there has to be more pro-crypto than Gary. It's almost impossible to be less pro-crypto than Gary. I see the saltiness. No, that's where I disagree. So first of all, John and I are saying the same thing. We're saying it differently. He literally said what I said. He said, we need somebody in there that's pro-crypto. That's exactly what I'm saying. The only difference is he's just saying he thinks it's at Gary's level. I'm just saying, no, no, no. It's the, it's the level above Gary. But the same, we're saying the same exact thing. We need a pro-crypto agenda. Then whoever you put in that seat is going to do the job. And so what I'm telling you, and the reason why I'm disagreeing with you on your last part of your statement, is you're saying, well, if we get anybody in there, they'll be more pro-crypto. No. If, the, if, if Biden wins and the administration and everything stays the same, just because you replace Gary with somebody else, why do you think the – unless the administration – changes their tune i would not expect to see much of a difference between gary i'm just going to say puppet number one puppet number two or puppet number three they're all going to be doing what their handler tells them to do does that make sense that's at least that's my opinion listen i could be wrong but i i'm just saying everybody has a boss gary has a boss he's getting orders he's executing the orders that's what i believe is happening and i just think that it isn't going to change just because you change out gary you have to change out the guy above Gary or where the orders are coming from. And then you could actually leave Gary there and just change the orders at the top. And you'll see a different Gary. You'll actually like Gary. You'll like the, you'll see Gary's brother, the twin brother, <laughs> but it's not going to happen. Cause I don't think we're going to see an administration change uh, sentiment. I'm sorry. I don't think we're going to get a sentiment change in this administration between now and the election. I think it's going to stay the same operation. Choke point will continue to remain there. And I don't, so we're never going to get to see Gary do the, what I call the WWE heel flip. Um, but when we get a new administration, that's when I think you'll see the flip. Oh, we lost you, brother. All right. Yeah, your mic's not working. So I'll just continue to talk until you get your mic back. But, um, you know, so at the end of the day, I kind of see it as, uh, you know, if we get that change at the top or we get. Oh, you're back. I think we can hear you. No, actually, we still can't hear you. How about now? Oh, we got you now. Perfect, guys. They're trying to keep me away, but they cannot. I got to read this Alderati tweet because, Johnny, I think it plays into what you're saying. 
Stuart Alderati commented on Eleanor Tourette's tweet from this week where she said, SEC Chairman Gary Gensler said on Wednesday he absolutely plans to stay on Wall Street's top regulator should President Joe Biden win a second term in November. How funny is this? So he's saying he's going to go right from the SEC back to Wall Street. Stuart Alderati said, who else would hire him? He's politically toxic. He's a serial loser in the courts. And his staff has been caught lying to judges. His agency's Twitter account was hacked in the most embarrassing way. And his sponsor at MIT quit because of his close Epstein ties. Did I miss anything? And I didn't even see the Epstein part of that. Very interesting for Gary Gensler. I mean, the snakes are the snakes are snaking Johnny Crypto, as they say. But just give me some brief thoughts. We'll move on. No, I mean, that's, he, he, he's actually not correct here. He's just, Stewart's just bitter, and I understand it. I don't blame Stewart at all. He should, he has a right to be bitter for Gensler. But let's face it, Abs. Gensler is making all of his handlers very, very happy. There'll be plenty of people in that side of the administration or his friends that are going to take care of him. They'll put Gary wherever Gary wants to be. They'll reward him, and I don't think Gary's going to have any problem Finding a job. I mean, guys. Oh, and this guy, I actually just, sorry to cut you off. I read this incorrect. Gary Gensler says he absolutely plans to stay as Wall Street's top regulator should mm. President Joe Biden win a second term in November. Sorry. I thought he said he was going to Wall Street as a top regulator. So no, really, no, I, just, I wow. think he says here, guessing says Wednesday, he absolutely plans to stay on as Wall Street's top regulator, not going to Wall Street. I see how you misread it. Wow. But regardless, the point is, I'm sure he'd love to stay in the role and I'm sure he'll execute whatever his bosses at the top tell him to do. But the reality is if let's say if Trump ends up getting a nomination, Trump wins and that administration comes, I'm not so sure Gary's going to be wanted much longer. We'll, we'll see. I mean, either one or two things are going to happen. It would be so fascinating to see if Trump wins. Right. And there is a sentiment change. And if they keep Gary, then you'll see what I'm saying. I think you'll see the Gary WWE flip. Uh, just like we've seen Yellen do the flip. We've seen Larry Fink do the flip. We haven't seen Jamie Dimon do the flip. Kudos to him. He still holds his heel roll. I want to see if Jamie's going to make the flip. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, until we get some change there, I'm sure if if, if Biden wins again, um, which I don't know if you saw the news last night, they're talking that his memory's not even there no more. So who knows if he's going to run? I don't know what's going to happen there. So we'll have to see what happens. Is that is that really breaking news? I mean, I mean, it's breaking in a sense where it's now it's now it's a fit. Now, hey, Abs, we needed the medical community. Guys, newsflash, the sky is blue and the clouds are white. This is breaking news on Good Morning Crypto. Also, Joe Biden struggles with his memory. Let's throw that in there. Oh, my God. We're stretching the truth now. Oh, my God. We're seeing it. No. Uh, but anyway, the reality is, you know, let's wait and see what happens. It'll be fascinating to see how this whole thing plays out. Obviously, Gary loves his role, wants to stay there. But the reality is if we get an administration change, I don't think Gary's going to get the chance. And that, that's unfortunate because I want you all to see him do the, the heel, heel flip, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think instead he'll get fired and then we'll see. We'll see. Hopefully Trump won't bring Clayton back though. We don't want to see Clayton in there either. <laughs> that's a good point, Johnny. And we got 412 live listeners here. Thank you for being here on this Friday. Show us some love, smash that like button. And these are results of the live chat poll today. Let me just pull these back up. Uh, once bro. I'm sorry. I'm trying to hit the <laughs> For the record, Johnny Crypto is never allowed to touch the live chat. But which event is more likely to occur first? Bitcoin reaching 70K or XRP touching $2? Ooh. Our live chat voted Bitcoin. Ooh. 57% of our 339 votes voted Bitcoin touching 70,000. is going to happen before $2 XRP. My goodness, the community is growing up and changing before our eyes, Johnny Crypto. It's really amazing. If we had ran that poll six months ago and I put 589 or 70,000, We'd have a lot of people voting 589. <laughs> I'm not yeah, even now we can't even get $2. But, I actually know. really like, and I want to give a shout out to the maturity of our live chat. The fact that they were having like these realistic expectations. I'm sure many people are super bullish on XRP, just like myself. But I don't want to miss out on opportunities because I become too pigeonholed on a specific project. So yeah. congratulations to our listeners for identifying. Let me tell you how you avoid missing out on opportunities, Ab. So while I'm talking, you can go pull it up. Make sure you have an exit plan, my friend. <laughs> there you go. And there you go. And, uh, and and so, you know, you're right. We do potentially have a bull run coming. And we may see a 70, and we may see a twenty a $2 uh, XRP. Maybe even a $20 XRP, who knows? But you better have an exit plan set. It was pretty cool that yesterday I got a text from Merlin. I said, oh, by the way, your, your, your target was in the 5%. Bitcoin was 
close to one of my within five percent of one of my targets. It's pretty cool because we built in pre-alerts or early warning notices. If you haven't enabled that, make sure you go in the app and enable that. You do it through the settings, guys. It's pretty, pretty cool. But uh, I know we're short on time. I just want to say have an exit plan app. Click on the link below um, so that you can get your free 30-day trial. We will also be, you know, very excited. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be announcing later this afternoon. Um, we will be sponsoring an event that's pretty exciting. So we'll talk about that a little later this afternoon, Alex, as well. We're excited, Johnny Crypto. And remember, guys, just because we're saying to take profit doesn't mean we're telling you to sell all your assets. We're Correct. telling you lock in a little bit of profit on the way up because we've been through this before. These assets are going to 10x and then they're going to collapse shortly after. So take advantage of the profits while they're there. We got 408 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and thank you to each and every one of you. We're wishing you an amazing weekend and like we always say, Warriors, rise! Get the shit